once we kind of get to the core of that, the world truly is limitless for you at that point. Once you can get to that core and identify all of those things that were placed on you, then you can go in whichever direction you please. You can really start building a foundation that is truer to your soul's mission, whatever that may be. That's Parisa Frost. I'm Cara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Well, I am so glad that you're here today. I had the pleasure of meeting you when we did our first panel about what's been going on in Iran. And you had such amazing insights and your experience, I think, lends to a lot of that, which is why I really wanted to have you come back and dive into an episode just about you and what you're up to in the world and how you're out there being of service. So let's begin by telling everybody your name where you are in the world, and what it is that you do. Sure. So my name is Parisa Frost. I'm based out of Los Angeles, California, and I am a clinical art therapist, an identity-affirming marital and family therapist, as well as a yoga teacher in training. <laughs> so just a few things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just a few. <laughs> a few different hats. <laughs> You said something that I haven't heard often when people talk about providing um, therapy, especially marital therapy. You said identity affirming. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. So it really means coming into each situation with cultural sensitivity and really affirming that person's intersectional identities for where they're at, how they express themselves in the world and forging ways to really complement that. Because our identity is so much of how we're showing up in the world and in our relationships. And oftentimes, I think a lot of practitioners don't necessarily miss that piece, but it's not centered in the way that it should be in my vantage point. Because I imagine it's a little bit of like, oh, well, now we're dealing with two crises of identity and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the marriage identity is as a union, but mm-hmm. um, that is your world, not mine. So what is actually happening there and how does that help in those relationships? Yeah, absolutely. And so, so much of that identity piece too comes from like our family of origin, from our racial, our religious, our um, sexual identities, and how do we merge them in a way that makes sense for the family unit or for the not even necessarily family unit, but for the marriage unit in and of itself. Um, And so understanding like how can these pieces complement each other and how do we um, address ruptures from a place that is culturally sensitive, that is understanding maybe because I wasn't raised in the same environment that you were, it doesn't make it right or wrong. It just means that we need a little more perceptual flexibility whenever we're addressing our marital issues. If we go back to eight-year-old you, <laughs> would she have imagined that this is what your life is today? Oh my gosh, you're gonna make me emotional. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I think eight-year-old me had big dreams. She definitely did. I think that she would be surprised and very proud in equal parts. Um, eight-year-old me wanted to be an actress, a movie star. You know, I really wanted to be center stage. Um, and I think that. It's kind of beautiful and ironic that I chose a life path that is really about centering the person in front of me. And what what joy has this job brought you? Because there's, you know, you look at your website, you listed all the things that you're doing. There's so much 
compassion for that other person being seen in in what you're up to? Like, how has that changed your life and how you're viewing the world? Mm, wow, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, I think it's changed my life radically. I, it's made me more tender, more gentle, more understanding. You know, even in looking at really um, just vulgar situations, the things that humans can do to each other is unconscionable. But really centering, like, how did we get here? And it's never what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. How did we get here? And centering that and really looking at the whole person in front of you, not just, you know, my own triggers, my own biases, my own experiences that I'm bringing into the room, but more so addressing my blind spots so that I can see them more clearly. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, I saw a quote recently that said, um, who you are is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. What does that mean to you? I love that. That's so funny because that quote actually came into my awareness recently too, and it's been tinkering in the background. And it's so true because who you are is is really a culmination of your childhood experiences um, and how they inform your core beliefs. It's a culmination of the environments that you were raised in and a lot of the programming and socialization on a much larger scale too that sort of creates these mechanisms that we call our personality. And so sometimes that in in a protective manner or just from the erosion of society and the inequities that we face, that can create certain parts of ourselves that we don't love, that were created really in the heat of trying to survive. And so that's not your fault. That never was and it never will be. However, it is your responsibility to take accountability for those things and to look at them and ultimately develop rigorous compassion for them and say like, I don't love this part about you, but I still love you. I don't love this part about myself, but I still love myself. You know, when we were connected for um, talking about what's happening in Iran, the panel majority were all Iranian Americans. How has that identity shaped who you are and how you approach your work? Mm, yeah, I mean, hugely hugely i think that a lot of my passion for intersectional conscientiousness and for cultural sensitivity really came from and was birthed from um straddling two spheres my whole life you know because i grew up in america i grew up alongside american americans and a very westernized ideals um however in my private home you know we were raised alongside a lot more eastern values middle eastern values um, rules of engagement were very different. And at times they can really be at odds with one another. You know, you see some of your friends who are able to do things sooner than you, or they don't have the same, you know, family engagements that you have. And so it helped to sort of shape me in, in a sense that how do I straddle both of these fears instead of feeling like I don't belong in either, but that I belong fully in both at all times. And that approach really has helped me work, I mean, with people of all different diasporas, but also individuals who are trying to reconcile with two different identities that can sometimes be in conflict with one another. What was one of your personal, like, biggest conflicts between those two worlds? I think, I mean, this is more, it's a very nuanced question, but I think <laughs> in a general sense, sort of the individualization of America and how much we 
really promote individuating from the family unit. I mean, that's that's a point of pride at 18 years old, you individuate. Whereas in Iranian culture and just a lot of collectivist cultures as well, it's almost seen as a point of rupture. Why are you doing this to us? You know, we're part, we're a team, we're a collective unit. And that there's so much beauty in that as well, I think. And that's how we fortify our communities, which I think is missing in a lot of American culture. We don't have, we don't see the same kind of grassroots communities and, and fidelity that we see in other collectivist cultures. However, they can be at odds with one another because then whenever one does individuate, it's kind of seen as, it can be seen as, and I'll speak in more um, tentative language, but it can be seen as um, selfishness or it can be seen as, you know, you're not sacrificing enough for the unit. Whereas there is this in-between space and that's something I really help a lot of my Middle Eastern in particular clients really address. Do you see that shifting because there's so many young people today who are choosing to stay at home for cost reasons or because of what happened with COVID, there's a lot more remote working. Do you see that shifting where the family units because of economic and social shifts is coming back beyond the Middle Eastern communities? Mm -hmm. Um, Or do you think it's really still very segmented? I do. I do. I think that that's a really good observation. I think that it is, um, we are working towards that. However, I think that there's still this embedded shame or this piece of like, I'm not where I'm supposed to be when in reality, that is kind of where economically our society is heading, that it is more cost effective to sort of stay in the family unit until you have that strong foundation to go off on your own. And our financial infrastructure has sort of made that shift uh, a lot more common, right? But there is still this embedded shame or sometimes, and again, speaking tentatively, resentment perhaps from the parental figures or whomever, whereas, uh, you know, I my hope is that we can sort of erase that and bring it back into an opportunity for families to be closer together. Mm-hmm. And, and have you personally just kind of found that that grace to flow between the two of them, like to you know, take the best parts of your Persian culture and then take the best parts of the Western culture? Like, do you feel comfortable today, like being able to pick and choose and flow between them? Yeah, I do. But And I think that that's taken a lot of work, an incredible amount of work. But I think it is, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful opportunity to really cherry pick the best of both worlds and see what makes the most sense for me and how I bring that in. And at the same time, as I say that, I'm also thinking, but I'm always both at all times, you know? Yes. What I see so often when I'm working with my business clients is often I'm giving people permission. And it's permission to choose what they really want, to choose who they really are, to choose... Um, things that maybe they don't think are are right in quotes, you know, to choose what they could do versus what they're told they should do. And I feel like I'm, as not a psychologist, I feel like I'm constantly helping people break down that we don't have to choose the labels that are there. Like so much of what I'm doing is helping people build a business that works 100% for them and what they're up to. And we have to give a lot of things up in that process. And even something that could be considered small of, I don't want to be a bad boss, has so many layers to what that means because we have a personal and a societal view of what a bad boss is. And then that prevents us from speaking up. 
It prevents us from leading people powerfully to giving people feedback to uh, letting all of our boundaries collapse around us sometimes. So I think there's a really interesting space happening right now of the unlearning that we're doing. Like it's used often to talk about, um, you know, a, a space of racism, but I think it's also there's the unlearning all the good girl training that we've gotten. It's unlearning what it like girl boss versus hustler versus whatever those, you know, trending <laughs> themes are. But there's a lot of unlearning happening. And is that something that you're seeing across the board with who you're working with? Is this something that therapists have always been doing and the rest of the world is now kind of tapping into it? What do you see? Mm, yeah, I I love that. I mean, you know, in more sociological realms, we say unlearning in the spiritual fields, it's deprogramming or deconditioning, you know, and it's so true. I'm really, I'm all about this rise of this separation and unlearning because we're really, we're learning and unlearning at the same time. And it's more so to get to that core of like, who are you without these expectations that were placed on you? Who are you without these labels or without this, you know, real sociological and psychological programming of your environments and your surroundings to get to that core, whether it's for business, whether it's for relationships or whatever it is, we're kind of peeling back those layers to see who are you without those protective mechanisms. So I'm seeing that a lot. I'm seeing it even in my own work, both personally and professionally. And it's like this really ugly, painful unearthing you know, because you have to address those parts of yourselves that you might not like either. And even in a lot of anti-racist work too, it's incredibly painful. That's why so many people don't do it, which is unfortunate, you know, because once we kind of get to the core of that, and I say this without hyperbole, the world truly is limitless for you at that point. Once you can get to that core and identify all of those things that were placed on you that are just, um, they're filler. It's not, there, it's nothing of actual substance. Then you can go in whichever direction you please. You can really start building a foundation that is truer to your life's purpose or your soul's mission, whatever that may be. There's freedom on the other side. I yeah. mean, I, I say that my business coaching approach is it's thrive business coaching because we have to break down some of those um, mindsets that we've chosen or titles we've chosen or habits we've chosen to like really have what we're fully capable of. Mm -hmm. And it's, it impacts so many things. That's why I can't step over the, when those conversations come up with clients, like, let's talk about pricing. And I'm like, yeah, but there's a whole money story behind that. Like I can tell you what the prices should be or how to optimize them. And whether or not you're comfortable with them or believe it is like the whole other thing that we have to get to first. It's there's so many, um, so much of us is between us and our success in life or business. Um, and so I think it's really interesting how all of it's shifting. I also sometimes feel like I have to pull some people back who have gotten really deep into like meditation and being guided and using their intuition. And there's some moments where I'm like, guys, I love that you have this practice. And there has to be a more active role that we can take <laughs> in the current present moment. Like, you know, if, if we're doing those things to tap into how we feel so we can make faster decisions and be more present, I'm like, you guys are not present because now you're waiting for 
some answer from somewhere else instead of yourself now. Like mm-hmm. I was joking with the client where I sent them a, a, a meditation practice and they wrote back and said, I loved it. It was great. And then right after that, I was listening to some real hardcore hip hop and I'm like, you should. Like yes. you want to get grounded to get empowered. And so like, once you're grounded, you're like, let's light this up. Let's go. <laughs> yes. You know, as you're speaking, I'm almost thinking of like, you know, whenever you're setting a blaze, like a firework, it's like set lighting it and then not letting it go off, you know? <laughs> yes. Like, what is the point? You know, meditation is where we light it. And then that work, that fire that has really been cultivated within us, that explosive point is what has to come next. Whether it's like hip hop in your room, whether it's a moment of inspiration. I love that. I mean, that's, yeah, that's really, that's the most that there is to it. We could be, if that's your life's calling, you could be a monk in a cave meditating all day, every day, but that's just not the truth of it. We're here to have a human experience and to use that information to then propel us towards our wildest dreams. And, you know, I've um, worked with, I've coached a lot of people who have started off as uh, therapists, certified therapists, licensed, and then they start doing their own work and development, or they see the gap where the current um, licensing limitations to help their clients has pushed them into being more of a coach or offering yoga classes or partner with people who can do that and they can, you know, they're not breaking their license. How has that shifted for you? Like, what has that journey been of having the solid foundation in therapy and then also knowing like there's so much more that could be rounding out what my clients need to really break them through or continue this journey? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there is, it's a two-sided question, right? Because on the one hand, I really hear that. And there is so much, I think to be a therapist and to be doing your own work at the same time is a grueling process, but it's so necessary. And it's just simply put unethical. If you're not, you know, you're going to be missing things constantly. And within that, I mean, there, there are like, and this is going to be a whole other episode. (laughs) There's so many um, really uh, unfortunate barriers to licensing for a lot of communities. I was actually just at an event recently, and that was one of the main talking points that for a lot of persons of color, it's really difficult to break into this field because it is a very classist, at its core, it's a very classist field that is difficult to break into. Um, And so that that in and of itself is very, it's, an an issue that needs to be and is being reluctantly, but is being addressed. Um, The other part of that as well is I do agree that there's a lot, there's an ethical safety net in my field that isn't touched sometimes in other areas, you know, which is unfortunate because I've seen some things happen that it's like, we don't have those licensing boards. A lot of things can slip through the cracks with individuals who haven't done the work themselves. And so it's a kind of, it's a two-sided thing, but I feel like doing this work, being in the field of therapy, it has now off-shot me. I don't know. (laughs) I've been shot into or uh, like a cannonball into these other fields such as yoga. I want to, I'm doing, or I'm, you know, building a pathway to trauma-informed yoga. I'm getting a lot more interested in somatic therapy as well, working with a somatic therapist myself. I mean, there's so many things that therapy, traditional talk 
therapy can't touch, you know, and I say that with profound humility, I really believe in what I do. But the final frontier is not just talking about it in a room, it's really getting back into the body and empowering yourself. I tell clients this all the time, my business model is kind of stupid, because I want you to not need me as quickly as possible. You know, my goal is is to become obsolete as quickly as possible. So you can find and tap into that wisdom yourself and develop things that perhaps a coach could offer or a yoga instructor to really supplement what you're learning with me. Does that make sense? <laughs> Makes total sense. You know, um, I highly recommend if you haven't found it yet, um, Yoga Zama. It's psychotherapeutic mm-hmm. yoga teacher training. Um, it's the program that I went through. It was amazing. And they've combined, it was built by a therapist and a neurologist who both realized that they needed yoga Um to supplement where some of the trauma was hanging out with their clients. Um, really fascinating stuff. Um, but that's a great program to look at if you're interested. Yeah, thank you. You know, I, I think that I'm in a similar field where people call me when they need me. We work together. And there's this interesting balance of, sure, could you, like, you know, quote, unquote, graduate from business coaching? Yes. And if we're doing our job right, there's always going to be the next level that you're processing and going through, and it becomes a journey together. Do you have clients that are like, I am never letting you go? Like, I need you for this, you know, monthly, weekly, bi-weekly check-in because you get me, we've done this work together. Like, you're now just part of my routine and my wellness program. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And it's such a fine line, right? Because on the one hand, it's part of my role is to be that secure base, that supportive person. Um, Oftentimes, whenever we're realizing that we don't have that much support in our field or in our realm, or, you know, the support that I'm offering is a lot more objective and unbiased than maybe a friend or a parent could give. And while it's important to have that support and that stability, we're also working to ensure there's no codependency or any codependent patterns. And it gets hairy because sometimes people really need that. You know, I've had clients who have to bump up to seeing me a couple of times a week because they're in crisis. And that's totally appropriate for that moment or that epoch in time. But we're really trying to work towards just check-ins, you know, just checking in. Um, so I do have clients like that and I'm, oh, I'm constantly telling them I'm not in the driver's seat, I'm just holding the GPS, you know, I'm, you're the one in the driver's seat. And eventually we're going to have done this route so many times. You don't even need the GPS anymore. You can just do it by muscle memory. Um, so it's really, it's like a very gentle letting go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I do feel lucky that, um, I have the freedom to, like be friends with my clients and to, you know, there's all these things that I'm, I feel so grateful for and which I'm glad that I'm, I'm, I do not belong in the therapy space as a profession uh, because I'm just such a keeper of people anyway. Like even people who are no longer working with me, I'm like still sending in things like, Hey, thought about this. Have you tried this yet? Like, what do you need? <laughs> like there's, I appreciate that I get to be all in with like mama bearing the I clients who come to me. I so wish it was ethical for me. (laughs) You know, there's so many times where I want to tell a client because I I now have the liberty to really be a lot more selective with who I'm working with or how I'm marketing my skill set, which wasn't necessarily the case in the past. So I am finding that a lot of 
And a lot of like-minded individuals with similar experiences are coming into my realm. And I just so badly want to say like, you know, in a different life, we would be friends. We would be best yeah. friends, you know? Like, I wish I could get a cup of coffee with you afterwards. Yeah, so, yeah that mm-hmm. is definitely one part that I wish was different. <laughs> yeah. When you think about the words powerful and ladies, mm-hmm. what do they mean to you individually? And does it shift for you when they're combined? Mm, Wow, that's such an excellent question. Absolutely. I think individually, very different than when combined. When I hear the word powerful, I hear something twofold, something that can be empowering or something that can be dangerous. (laughs) Because whenever power, and I'm actually kind of seeing this in in the yogic field and community more as people sort of ascend in their practice and get power, we see a lot of predatory behavior. And this is the same even within therapists as well. Um, unchecked power can turn very predatorial very quickly in our society. Whenever we combine the word powerful ladies, suddenly it has a completely different connotation to me because I really see um, whenever I think of a powerful woman or a powerful lady, I see her in community with other ladies, with other powerful women, you know, and we really are stronger together. There's less of this competitive feel of who has the most power it's all it's lift one up to lift us all up um yeah that's that that's my immediate reaction <laughs> when you look at your personal journey how have women been integral in your journey your support you getting to where you are today oh my gosh everything women need women You know, whenever I was younger, I was one of those obnoxious girls. I was like, I just get along better with boys, which is me too. You know, (laughs) it really is. It's, it's, I, my theory is that whenever you embody more sort of, um, quote unquote, masculine qualities or those qualities of extreme confidence or whatever it may be, it's just the first thing that's coming to my mind or assertion, being an assertive person that can be really misunderstood sometimes, unfortunately. Um, and it can, I've actually recently heard of a theory um, similar to pecking order that like girls can kind of peck at each other to prepare each other for the real world. That's why they're so vicious in high school. Um, It's a new thing that I'm learning more about, but it's quite fascinating. But whenever I think about all of the women who've helped me to get here, it's such a beautiful, positive experience of inspiration. You know, I think about my mom who went to law school in her 40s and was really told, was really discouraged a lot of the way. It was told, you have two kids, you know, English is not your first language. You should really think about doing part-time. Not only she didn't do part-time, she did full-time and was the freaking valedictorian of her class. Yes, mom. Yeah, right? (laughs) You know, and with whenever you have sort of, whenever you're walking a path with a model or a role model like that, it's difficult to see women as anything but powerhouses. So I felt really fortunate in that regard. I mean, and I just think about all the women in my family, even my grandmother, who in, you know, pre-revolution Iran was raising children at 15 years old. Uh, Yeah, just women need women. We really pave the way for each other. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever I was young, I'd like rip the bows out of my hair, rip the jewelry off. I just wanted to play with the boys and get muddy, you know? And that it creates this idea of like not being girly enough or not being a good girl, right? Um, Which is so funny. And and there's a lot to unpack there too with obviously everything that's happening in Iran that we kind of lightly touched on in the last panel. 
But there's so many ideas of like what it means to be a girl, a good girl, a good woman. And it's just BS. <laughs> you know, a lot of it is like the myths of the patriarchy sold back to us to be more submissive and to be more docile. And there's really nothing wrong with those attributes. You know, if you are a more soft spoken person, great. But that can't and shouldn't and never was the end all be all for us. It's just that's the mechanism that makes it the easiest to contain us. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting, I think, how we're using language to contain people and at what cost. Right. Um, I just, my brother gave me a graphic novel called The Last Man that I just finished last night. And it's this idea that one day, like all, anything with a Y chromosome just instantly dies. Animals, plants, you know, humans. And there's like, they have one guy and one male monkey left and they don't know why. And they, but there's a page in the book where it's listing the statistics of like 48% of the population just disappeared and 98% of all government leaders are gone and 80% of all CEOs are gone. Like these statistics where it's so um, male heavy from the, the population numbers and how just certain things don't work because women haven't been in those spaces or invited into those spaces in the same way. And like what you have to deal with, but it's a really interesting book. I recommend it. Um, but I do think it's interesting that like, this needing to control people and not mm-hmm. um, like I, I, you and I would probably say that it's a matter of like, what, what are they afraid of? Right? Like, and I'm like, where were you broken? What is your trauma? How do we deal with your trauma so that you can be okay and give everyone space? <laughs> Exactly. That's exactly it. You know, it's, you know, speaking in super binary terms, but if when we think about patriarchy or misogyny and we say men are the problem, men are also the solution, you know, and that's kind of what it is where we're at. And in order to, and that's something I'm becoming more and more passionate about too, it's, is like male psychotherapy. Like how do we start healing that wounded inner male ego in order to really create safety and equity for all of us? It really begins and ends with them and giving them the opportunity to be able to air these things out in a safe way instead of repressing them until they really metastasize into this toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Well, and it might be the Libra in me coming out, but I just, the craving for balance, right? The, you know, and I, I there's a little bit of whiplash that we can see, right? We're like, everything's been like, help the girls, like help women, women in STEM, women, all this stuff. And, you know, here I am speaking as it was seen a women's podcast. Um, but then there's also this, like, how do we just help? How can we help more people? How can we get that balance right? Yeah. So we don't need to uh, have any specific group that is so disadvantaged where mm-hmm. it just works, like, because I think that there's also, there's a resistance, right? Whenever someone's asking you to change. And I think we're, I think that we're seeing that, especially in the U.S. right now of like what some things that are happening and like, how do we get past the point of like the pendulum swinging so far? Like, how do we kind of come back to this, this centered place where we can all just be all the things we're all going to be fine. We have enough resources, like (coughs) bless you. Thank you. (laughs) Like, it just makes me wonder, like, maybe five-year-olds should be in charge because I think they get this. <laughs> you will never get a more honest, pure answer about anything in the world than you will from a five-year-old. 
Truly, because they see everything with this fresh perspective that doesn't operate in binaries and doesn't operate in kind of stereotyped preconceptions. It's interesting, actually. It's like around that age that we start forming our biases about the world and about different classes and race and whatnot. And I'm kind. what I'm hearing you kind of say is like, how do we get to that neutral ground before all of that is learned, before the pendulum goes one way or the other? Yeah. Life, yeah, it's lifelong venture. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you are looking at what you're building, creating, going to manifest for 2023, what are you most excited about? What am I most excited about? Mm. I think slowing down. I'm such like a go, go, go million miles per hour kind of woman. And, and I love that part of myself, but then I have to remind myself that it's actually radical resistance to slow down and just to be tender and gentle. I say that, but like, we'll see. <laughs> I have so many ideas. I'm like, I'm going to start writing a book. I want to start a networking club. I want to, you know, I have so much in, in my sphere, but I'm really looking forward to letting those ideas um, incubate through rest and through yoga and gentle practices, Um, which, like I said, it's just not, it's not where my modus operandi is. It's really difficult for me to do that, but that it's been my biggest intention for 2023 is just to be more gentle and to rest more. Yep. I hear that. Um, when you're ready to write your book, let me know. I have an amazing independent publisher who is crushing it. So nice. I would love Mm -hmm. to get that information from you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'll make sure you get it soon. Um, we ask everyone on the podcast where they put themselves in the powerful lady scale. If zero is average everyday human and 10 is the most powerful lady you can imagine, where would you put yourself today? And on average? Oh my gosh. Well, today I'm feeling so powerful. Today I'll put myself at a nine or a 10. Thank you for having me on. Um, You know, the Leo in me says that I strive for a nine or a 10 every day, but I think I'd put myself more at, you know, let's, well, I'll be humble, say like a five or a six on average. Um, I try, I'm, I'm trying to embody a more subtle tonality of power of what it means to kind of work in the background and help people ignite that in themselves, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. One of the best practices that I adopted ages ago, I did it intentionally for 30 days when I was initially reading the book it came from, but I would wake up every day and say, who do I get to serve today? Mm, I love that. It it just it helps me bring down the feeling that I had to cause things, mm-hmm. and instead could just be in a re- in a receiving and reactive space instead of pushing. Because like you, I am real good at pushing things uphill, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, why am I so tired? I'm like, oh, because I've been pushing all of these ideas uphill versus just like letting them grow on their own sometimes. Absolutely. I'm so like that. It's like I plant the seed and then I'm plucking it out every week. Like, why have you not grown more? (laughs) You know, I forget that we plant the seed and we, you know, we create the proper environment and conditions for it to grow. But that greatness really takes a long time to set. And I give this example to my clients all the time, actually, that bamboo is one of the strongest, most fortified plants out there. But it takes five years to even see the first sprout because it's developing this, I mean, profoundly intricate and solid foundation underground. And I think I have to remind myself all the time that even if we're not seeing the sprouts, that foundation is happening slowly and naturally. 
Well, and I think to bring that analogy a step further too, the every plant, even bamboo, like the ones that are the healthiest, they're never by themselves. Mm. They're always like, who else wants to come hang out? Like, because we, the, um, what is it like three tiers of plants are like the most successful, right? The ground cover, the one that's tall, the one that's climbing. So I, I think we, I, even though I practice this and preach this to, I definitely preach it. I practice it somewhat, but I will still forget. I'll get so sucked into my head about why isn't it working? It's my fault. What can I do? Me, me, me. And I'm like, hold on. Who can I just ask? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have all these people who are so amazing (laughs) that I'm asking to come hang out with me on a regular basis. I'm like, why don't I just ask them? Why don't I just tell that group? Here's what I need. (laughs) Which leads me to what we're asking everyone on the podcast now, which is, what do you need? What would you love more of? How can this powerful ladies community or myself, like how can we help you and either grant some wishes or help you manifest some things? Yeah, I love that. What a great question. What do I need? I think something I've been trying to call in a lot more for 2023 is intentional community, you know, and really finding, I mean, and this is, this is it happening in real time, you know, finding like what minded women and people in general to just connect with, to dialogue, share ideas. I think that that buzzing atmosphere is where I personally really thrive, you know, like I I can incubate my ideas all I want on my own, but having that sort of erosion of, you know, dialoguing with other people, hearing other, some others input, it really sort of sharpens that sort of discernment and refines those ideas. So I think, yeah, just intentional community, that would be my biggest wish for this incoming year and in general. I love that. So for everybody who wants to collaborate with you, support you, be part of your community, work with you potentially, where can they find you and follow you? Yeah, thank you. So my <clears throat> for potential clients, anyone who would want to work in psychotherapy, you can find me at parisafrost.com, P-A-R-I-S-A-F-R-O-S-T.com. For other professionals, and this can be anyone in the healing realm, I mean, acupuncturists, yoga instructors, therapists, coaches, whatever it may be. I do have a networking, I call it a networking group, but like, that's really not the purpose of it. It's really more of a connecting group called Hiking Healers. You can find that at hikinghealers.com. We meet every couple months in nature to do art making, to do self-care, to dialogue, to hike, really just to connect with other healers out in the great outdoors. I also send monthly resources out, um, free resources every month as well. So for professionals, you can find me on there. Clients, you can find me at my website. Or if you just want to say what's up and have a cup of coffee, I would love that. I would adore that. (laughs) Amazing. Well, I am so thankful that you've taken time out of your busy day to hang out with me, to to share your story with this community, and just to keep being who you are. Like I I really appreciate that there are women like you doing these things and doing everything you can to make room for others and to just make the impact that you want to see, right? Like there's to choose to step into being of service is often a scary choice to make because there are so many selfish demands that this life has on us. And so I just want to say thank you for the lives that you're changing and the space you're creating. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, this has just been such a blast and you're such an inspiration as well. And all that you're doing for the community of powerful entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial and self-healing women. 
Thank you. You're so welcome. All the links to connect with Parisa are in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. And for bonus points, leave us a rating and review. They are so critical for podcast visibility and it helps us so much when you do that. Come join us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. And if you're looking to connect directly with me, please visit caraduffy.com or find me on Instagram at cara underscore Duffy. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love.